Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, How to Study the Bible, or How to Study the Bible so that you can answer your own questions and have a certainty in the truth that you're trusting your salvation to. That's the purpose of this video series. Uh, this is uh, video number 17, lesson number 16, after the introductory video. And the, <clears throat> the title of this lesson is principle number five, rightly dividing the word before you apply the word. Uh, we are, again, covering the principles of, of the scriptural biblical principles of how to do the primary method of uh, uh, topic oriented or the topic study topical study method of uh, studying the scripture it's it's finding answers to specific questions from the word of god and uh, we've covered four principles already here's today is the fifth one uh <clears throat> every one of these principles is absolutely important all by itself together they are absolutely essential. There's not one of them that you can safely ignore and expect to find truth that you can rely on for your salvation. However, uh, this particular principle may be the most ignored principle in Christendom uh, anywhere, any type of Christianity. It's a uh, it's very, very critical, but it's also mostly ignored. And because of ignoring it, many people have doctrines that they cannot prove scripturally and that they can't rely on, even though they are relying on them, uh, they can't rely on them. Uh, the scripture says, and this is just one of the places but this is where we'll start today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, of the five principles we covered so far, <clears throat> this is the one that is directly connected to the word study. Uh, the others uh, have a, a connection, of course, and they are all absolutely eternally, uh, absolutely essential. But this one is directly connected to uh, study by Paul and the Holy Ghost. And so we, let's look and see what this means. Today in Christianity, many scriptures are used out of context, especially in reference to New Testament salvation. If there's any subject other than who God is, that you don't want to uh, have false doctrine on, it sure should be the subject of salvation. And yet Christianity today uh, takes salvation scriptures from any place, any book, any context, any setting, and tries to make those scriptures that sinners should follow to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, I don't know, 
I don't know what people are thinking. In no area, other area of life, no other area of life, uh, is it so prevalent that people would take a letter or a book or a document and simply randomly take statements out of that document or that book or whatever and, and, and take positions on that. Uh, not just important decisions, but eternal positions. And yet it's done with the Bible all the time, all the time. It is imperative for us to know uh, to whom particular scriptures are addressed in order to be able to determine the accurate and intended application of a particular verse or verses. I'm going to read that one more time. It is imperative to know to whom particular scriptures are addressed in order to be able to determine the accurate and intended application of a particular verse or verses. Let's, uh, let's look at this phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, all translations that are based on the New Testament Greek manuscript, textus receptus, or that's Latin for the received text, from which the King James Version was translated, use the word rightly, uh, R-I-G-H-T-L-Y, dividing in their translations of this verse. All of the other uh, translations, which have been translated from the modern Greek text, which is identified by several names, some use a, some use some form of correctly teaching in their translations. Uh, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Rightly dividing is addressed to the student, not to the teacher. If I don't rightly divide in my study, then I'm certainly not going to correctly teach in my teaching. So uh, the Greek word included below, which is in the Texas Receptus, is much more specific than correctly teaching. The original amplified version, the classic edition included here, kind of straddles the fence between the two positions. Uh, the updated 2015 version uh clearly crosses the line. The Amplified Classic Edition says, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, the Greek word that's in the uh, Texas Receptus Greek text uh According to Strong's, this translated rightly divide means to make a straight cut. That's the literal definition. Figuratively, to dissect, expound correctly the divine message. It is, it is, uh, taken from the root Greek word, which is actually a combination of two words. The first is right as arising, perpendicularly erect, figuratively honest, or horizontally, level, or direct. And then it comes also from the other base Greek word, which means to cut, as if by a single stroke. So Thayer says of this Greek word, it means literally to cut straight, to cut straight ways. 
And then it also means, according to Thayer's, to make straight and smooth, to handle aright, to teach truth directly and correctly. Vine says of this Greek word, it means to cut straight, again, from the two Greek words, straight and to cut. And it says concerning 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly dividing, and of course the revised version, which is taken from another Greek text, handling aright the word of truth. The meaning passed from the idea of cutting or dividing to the more general sense of rightly dealing with a thing, which is intended here. What is intended here is not dividing scripture from scripture, but teaching scripture accurately. In uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew and Aramaic Old Testament, it means of directing one's path. Righteousness traces out blameless paths. Uh, the analytical lexicon of the Greek New Testament says of this word, literally it means as cutting a straight road through difficult terrain, uh, making a straight path. Figuratively in the New Testament with reference to correctly following and teaching God's message, hold to a straight course, teach accurately. So the principle of rightly dividing uh, the word is very obvious when considering God's word to Noah. When we read the account of Noah in the scripture, we inherently know that God is not telling us uh, personally to build a literal ark. We understand that this interchange was included for our faith, admonition, and edification according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Why is all of this so important? Why is it so important? Well, first of all, uh, <laughs> if you're wanting New Testament salvation, uh, you have to consider when the New Testament began. You have to consider that. You have to understand when that was. Uh, when did the church begin? How can you be, be made a part of the church through a plan of salvation when there was no church? The church was not born until the day of Pentecost. Now we're going to be talking about this some more in the next lesson, but I just want to, I just need to make this, this clear to you. The Bible is not just divided into Old and New Testament. As we will cover in the next lesson in more detail, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that testament is not in effect until after the death of the testator. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which according to the printers, put the Old Testament, it says New Testament, begin. that's what it says before Matthew 1.1, except that if a testament is not in effect until after the death of the testator, and Jesus did not die until the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John, then is the New Testament in effect in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No, it is not. And there is no single verse anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that specifically tells a person exactly what to do to be saved as a part of the New Testament, as a part of the New Testament church. It's not there. Oh, well, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. I believe that verse. But Nicodemus asked, how? In other words, the verse says, be born again, but it doesn't tell you how. 
And it doesn't tell you how in any of the four Gospels. There's no place in the four Gospels that specifically explains how to be born again. It just says be born again. But then people drop down of chapter 3 of, uh, of, of uh, John, where Jesus said, uh, For God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he that believeth on me should not perish but have everlasting life. And some take that as the plan of salvation. See, there all you have to do is believe, really. Except in four chapters later, Jesus said himself in John chapter 7 and verse 38, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, in the manner that the scripture defines and qualifies as what faith is. So you can't take a single verse, as the previous principle said, and make a doctrine out of it. And you can't take a verse out of context and make a doctrine out of it when you take all these other verses. For instance, in John chapter 20, the scripture says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, there are people that say they received the Holy Ghost then. Then why did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1, to those exact same people, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power on high. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's what he said in Acts 1, just before his ascension. So if these people received the Holy Ghost in John 20 in that event, which was before the ascension, when he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost, why is he telling those exact same people, to stay in Jerusalem until they receive, they receive the Holy Ghost. You can't take a scripture out of context and interpret it privately with your own opinion of what it means instead of letting the scripture interpret itself. What did Jesus do in John 20? It was prophecy of the coming spirit, but that's not all it was. The Greek word translated spirit, can also be translated breath or wind, depending on the context. And so when he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost, what was he doing? Well, he was confirming what he said in John chapter uh, 14, when he said, I'm going to go away, but the Holy Ghost has come to you. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost, but then he said, it's going to be my spirit. I'm coming to you. So he breathed on them a couple of chapters later and uh, in, in, from the context of the book. I don't know exactly how many days that was. The, the, what took place in John 14 was before his crucifixion. What took place in John 20 was after his crucifixion, before his ascension. And so he says, uh, he said, breathed on them. Well, if the word breathe can also mean breath or spirit, then he is not just prophesying that they're going to receive the Holy Ghost. He didn't just command them to receive the Holy Ghost because the word receive when he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, is in the imperative tense of command. But he also was telling him where the Holy Ghost was coming from. And Peter confirmed this in Acts 2 when he said, "Whatever you, the, everything you're seeing and hearing today, Christ poured it out on you. He's the one that gave this to you. He's the one that 
put this in you. So, and John, of course, John the Baptist prophesied the same thing. He said, I need baptize you with water in Matthew 3 and other places. I need baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John prophesied before he even knew who Jesus was that the coming Messiah was going to be the Holy Ghost baptizer. Jesus said, uh, I'm going to go away so that the Spirit can come, but that's going to be me because I won't leave you orphanless or comfortless. And the Greek word there is orphans. I will come to you. Well, he didn't come to us bodily. He came to us by his Spirit. And, of course, John, Jesus said in John 4, there's only one Spirit which Paul, of course, confirms, among others. There's only one Spirit. So if it was the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Lord, it's only one Spirit. All those are different descriptive titles to let you know the different ways the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit has been manifested to man. But there's only one Spirit. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a past, I've been a pastor. I'm a bishop. I'm only one person. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm only one person. All of those are things I've done. All those things are things I'm doing. But I'm only one person. Now, my sons would call me father or dad. My wife calls me Chester or husband. Uh, my parents, when they were alive, called me son. Uh, there are people who call me bishop. None of those are my name. They're all titles of roles I've had in their specific lives. And so it is with the Holy Ghost. So if, if you don't, if you don't rightly divide the word, then you don't understand this from the scripture. I don't want to go any, any farther in this right now because in the next lesson I'm going to go into it much deeper. But again, it is, it is instruction of the Holy Ghost that when we're studying, we rightly divide the Word of God. We rightly divide the Word of God. Praise God. The Lord didn't tell me to go up to a mountaintop and get stones. The Lord didn't tell me to hold my rod out over a body of water. Uh, till it parted so the people of God could go safely. He can tell me things to do today, but those things are written for our learning, for our faith, for our admonition, for our edification, for our learning, so that we can, we can have faith to know, well, the Lord did, did this, and so he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But I don't get that benefit if I don't put the words in their proper context and let the Bible interpret itself because none shall want her mate and there can't be a contradiction between them. I mean, the Bible says we're saved by grace and uh, by faith, by grace and not by works, lest any man should boast. But then James says, that faith without works is dead being alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Which one of those is right? They're both right. I'm saved by grace, not by works. My own human ability to save myself by doing good. 
but my faith must be confirmed by my obedience. Those works are not works I decided to do. They're works he commanded me to do. Can I say I have faith and disobey the commands of God? No. There's no faith in disobedience. And so those who say, well, all you have to do is believe, they're just throwing out all the other scriptures where there are commands. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which is one sentence grammatically. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, comma. Teaching them. He's still talking to the same people in the same sentence. Teaching them. Who? These disciples you're making. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So when the apostles tell us something, either they disobey Jesus and they fail to do what the the word of God says, or, or, what they commanded us to do is an obedience what Jesus commanded them to do. He commanded them to teach us all things whatsoever he had commanded them. He taught them, they taught us. And their writings are scripture. Their writings of what he did, what he said uh, while he was on earth, and then what he did and said in and through and to them through the Spirit, after he ascended into heaven, all of that became Scripture. So all of that is an obedience to Matthew 28, 20. And Matthew 28, 20 is the other half of the verse that is ignored by so many people. And Matthew 28, 20 is a major point for rightly dividing the word. Because everything that happened after Acts 1 and 1, is an obedience to Matthew 28, 20. And those that don't want to follow what the apostles said are not following what Jesus said because he commanded them to tell us what he told them. He commanded them to teach us what he taught them. He commanded them to command us to do what he commanded them to do. I pray that this will give you much to think about and that you will ask God for the wisdom and the discernment that as you study, that you will let his spirit rightly divide the word for you in Jesus' name. God bless you.